Leadership is a responsibility, not a position. Welcome to Leading from the Front with Dr. Gary McGrath, where experienced leaders share their own brand of leadership to help you develop and improve your own leadership capabilities. And now, here's your host, Dr. Gary. I'm Dr. Gary, making good bosses into great leaders with compassionate accountability. Welcome again to Leading from the Front, where leadership is a responsibility, not a position. Today's guest is the founder and CEO of L-Cube Consulting, a business that helps enterprise to medium-sized organizations elevate results through strategic goal achievement. She and her team teach the practice of rapid adaptive transformation to notable global multi-million dollar clients. Rapid adaptive transformation. That's a mouthful. We're going to have to work on that and figure out what that means. She is the number one best-selling author of Future Proofing Cubed, is a frequent guest expert on multiple media outlets and speaker at business executive conferences. On her rare day off, she enjoys spending time at her home in Arizona with her family and hound dogs, Danny and Ottoman. Please welcome Lisa L. Levy. Ergo, L cubed. I finally figured it out, Lisa. How are you doing today? I am great, Dr. Gary. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to have you on the program today and talk a little about your experience and what you're working on today. But let's go back to the younger Lisa. Let's go back in history and talk to talk to you about how you've come to where you are today. How did you get started in this whole arena that you work in today on strategic thinking? The beginning was totally not strategic. I have a degree in video production. And when I graduated from college, I looked at the marketplace and said, I can work for a local news um, television station and earn less than I would earn working at McDonald's. And that did not appeal to me very much. So I I looked at what my skills actually were and figured out that video producing is, is a process that has a beginning, a middle, and an end. And that's about planning work, doing work, and moving on to the next thing. It was the mid to late 90s. It was the mid 90s. And information technology was booming. And inside of that industry is a discipline of project management, Mm. which is planning work, doing work, and moving on to the next thing. So I did an immediate pivot to use skills that I have in an industry that would let me build a career that would put a roof over my head and food on my table and you know buy some kibble for the basset hounds. <laughs> so let me let me ask you a question. You know, as at a young age, this is kind of unusual for someone to, you know, get a degree in, in an area that they're interested in, like video production. And I guess you were motivated, I'm I'm gonna assume you were motivated by looking at gee, I could make French fries and make more money than I would in video production. So there was some motivation there to kind of go inside and say, okay, I need to redesign myself, refigure out what am I going to do? At that point, other than the money, was there something else that caused you to make that shift, that pivot? Because there's not a lot of people that could go internally and figure that out themselves. What? How did you do that? Did you have help with it? Did, did somebody tell you you're crazy? What? I mean, anything? <laughs> My family had always told me I was crazy in my pursuit of my degree. Um, And my degree itself was sort of a compromise. I really, I wanted to direct film or, or theater. And 
thought through the fact that there are so few people who do extraordinarily well at that, that I needed to broaden it. So video was the broader medium. Mm. When I started looking at how to you know, earn a living coming out of school, fear was a motivator. Uh, and you know, the fear of being able to mm-hmm. pay rent, the fear of being able to, you know, to eat and you know, support myself was that first motivation. Um, and then there was some guidance and counsel from friends, from um, faculty members at the university that said, you know, you can follow your passion and that's great. But if you are afraid constantly, where, what does that mean to you and, and, and your life? And I decided that making decisions purely based on fear was not interesting to me. And I had watched my parents go through a divorce and my mother made a series of choices over a number of years that were all fear-based and they're Mm short-sighted. They are reactionary. They don't necessarily solve the root cause of a problem, but I didn't want to live that life. So at a very, very early age, when you talk about this, first of all, you said that you wanted to go into a film direction and theater direction and you thought, okay, what's a broader medium and video film, actually video by itself is a broader medium. So what that tells me is without even realizing at a very young age, you were already thinking more strategically, bigger, bigger picture. It was a much you know, broader way of thinking, even about yourself, your skills and your career. And it was totally right. It was natural. It wasn't something that I, right. It came from inside and in the moment and, you know, reflecting on it, I would never, and I think even five minutes ago, I said it wasn't a strategic choice. It was just the decisions in the moment, but, you know, with some reflection and, you know, through your lenses, right. You're seeing that as, as strategic thinking. And I was, I was seeing it as fight or flight. Well, yeah. However, even under fight or flight, we can slow down a little bit because what you said was not to try not to be what you learned from your mom is to try not to be short-sighted and reactionary. So you slow down just enough to be able to look at the bigger, broader picture. And so what I'm hearing is, is those skills that you started to develop naturally when you were in your 20s are the same talents that you've built through experience and education and other things that serves you today. Certainly, you know, there's, there's a natural instinct that I have that has then been nurtured through education and built out into skills and capabilities that, you know, is, you know, that natural foundation, right? I am a big believer, right? You, that gut instinct. And if I, if my gut is telling me something, I may not be able to explain why, but I, you know, I will tend to follow it because it served me well. Yeah. Something is telling you, you need to pay attention. And I have that same kind of gut sense with the work that I do in consulting and leadership and so on, that something just doesn't feel right. And I think that what we learn with experience is instead of just driving forward with, with blind abandon, we take a quick step backwards say wait a minute something's not right here let me let me do a double check right and isn't that really kind of the you really you're talking about a process of critical thinking and isn't that really what you do today for clients i mean it sounds like the exact you've been you've been developing this talent 
from a very young age and you talk about these experiences with your parents and the decisions they made and the fear of working at McDonald's for the rest of your life and so on. <laughs> but whatever the reasons are, you are able to go inside and focus on the talents and the strategic thinking that you use today for clients, right? It has all grown into to what I do with my clients. It has fed into um, the adaptive transformation framework that we've developed to use with our clients. And it is, right? It is a lifetime's experience packaged up in a repeatable way so that others can benefit. So let's go forward a little bit more before, at what point did you come to the realization that, you know, you were probably working in different positions, different organizations, and then you had this, what, one day, just a, a eureka moment, or was this rapid adaptive transformative process something that took years to develop? So yes, I started a career in IT project management. I worked in different companies. I worked for professional service organizations. I worked as an internal leader of project and program management and started to see patterns. Um, started to see that we, you know, businesses use technology and they believe they spend lots of money and it's going to solve all the world's problems. And you implement it and go figure it doesn't do, it, it's not magic and it doesn't fix everything. And I guess I kind of like puzzles, right? And these patterns, I looked at that and said, mm-hmm. okay, technology is not a cure-all. We need to walk it back. Before there's technology, there needs to be processes. Um, technology, right, enables processes. So really we should understand the processes before we try to use technology to automate and make things more effective and efficient and started looking at process. And that was really cool. And results started to get better, but they still weren't everything. Employees, users of systems are still frustrated when they go live and they don't do everything and they don't fix everything. I was like, okay, there's another piece to this equation and it's people. And over the years, right, I, I learned if you get the right people, good people, dedicated people, and you give them skills and you teach them capabilities and you build them up into being high-performing individuals and you tune their processes, then you enable it with technology and that's when you get the eureka moments. So while I don't consider myself mathematically mm. astute, it's an equation, people plus process plus technology equals results, the positive results. Right. And I'm going to add to that because you said it is it's hiring the right people, giving them the right skills. Mm-hmm. And I, I learned that at Procter and Gamble back in the eighties and talked to somebody recently who worked for Procter and Gamble in the last 10 years. And it turns out no surprise, their culture from 40 years ago is the same as today. And their focus is on premium products. That's their, their mission. And people development through skills. Everything else is secondary. And it's never changed. And if you do that well, it's it's a magic, it's magic. And so my experience was with larger corporations. And my last employment situation was a post-startup company, and they were growing rapidly and things were changing. And I watched this organization and the the C-suite, I was there for 18 months, I watched the C-suite turn over three complete times in 18 months. And the business was really being led by consultants. Mm. And each C-suite 
representative brought in their consulting team and their trusted advisors. And so instead of having, you know, seven leaders, there were seven leaders and 35 consultants running amok. And I looked at that and I went, you know, this is not what it's supposed to be about. Consulting and advising and coaching, these are great things that help businesses, but it has to be done in an orderly and organized manner. It has to have value. And so I had, I guess my aha moment was, I have been in and around this for a long time. And and if we can do a consolidated approach and one team, whether that's a person or 10 people, come in and align with leadership, we can execute strategy. We can operationalize it. And in large corporations, there are Mm. Um, capabilities that we that are very comfortable and familiar: project management, process and performance management, organizational change management. Large corporations build large teams of these experts to get things done in their businesses. I wanted to help smaller companies get the advantage of all of that without having to make the investment in those teams because they're not ready yet. But those capabilities mm. add value. And that is what fed into creating the adaptive transformation framework. It's taking those best practices and Mm. taking them horizontally through the organization across the leaders and the individual contributors to drive results without having to make the investment in another team of people or three other teams of experts. Build those capabilities and let them grow and develop organically Let's a business adapt and change. You need a new product or service. You want to bring it to market. Wouldn't it be great if people said, yes, let's do it rather than, oh, that's going to be hard. And here's an obstacle and here's an <laughs> obstacle. What if we got rid of that right. resistance to change, which is human. We're all, we're, we are all capable of it, right? But what if we, in our culture, got rid of it and said, we want to do the next thing because we know it's going to be good. And it's going to be good for the company, the customer, and us. So beyond, I mean, obviously a framework is not going to help people overcome the fear of change, right? It can help them overcome the the implementation or the execution. It can make it better, but it's not going to help them overcome the fear. And you talked from the beginning, hire the right people and build their skills. That has to come first. And, I, you know, being a leadership expert, I love the fact that you said that. So... <laughs> Let's let's focus on the beginning of that a little bit and your adaptive transformation framework and how does that fit in with that? Because it sounds very linear, very engineering process approach, but I get the sense that it's not. No, it really, obviously there are pieces that are, right? You want to be able to do work in, in ways that are that's repeatable so that you get efficiency. When you lead with people, you're talking about informing, driving, changing, molding culture. And at the heart of it, the adaptive transformation framework helps build a culture that embraces experimenting, that allows for failure and learning, right? The word, you know, that's probably in your head right now is this is starting to sound a little agile. Yes, it is. But it's agile at a different level. It's agile at the level that it is part of culture that we know we don't necessarily have all of the best answers in our heads. Sometimes you have to try something and see what happens. 
If it works, you build on it. If it doesn't work, you let it go and you move on to the next thing and you try again. And so that is from a leadership perspective, knowing that you're going to decentralize decision-making. You're going to trust that your line teams have good leadership and they're going to make the best decisions they can in the moment. And when they work, they're going to celebrate it and build on it. And when it doesn't work, they're going to take a step in a different direction and do something different. And that that's good and it's okay. So I love as I talk about this from a leadership standpoint, words are very, very important. So let's break down the words for a second. Adaptive transformation framework. That that phrase, adaptive, the ability, like you said, to be able to kind of go in a direction, a framework that allows you to figure out approximately what we need to do that starts to create a culture of adaptiveness in decision-making, in direction, in execution. And then the transformation, which is allowing the organization, the products, the services, or whatever it is to match what their customers need in a way that says, okay, we're all in this together. We're going to adapt as we go along. We're going to transform what we're doing. But here's the framework. Follow the steps. Follow the framework. And don't go off the path too much. It kind of gives you a direction. It's not all the answers. But if you're building the skills in the human being as you're going along, then they're going to be able to execute with excellence. You got it. And you made a point in there. And I haven't you know, spoken to it, but you, you caught on to the idea, right? This is also customer-centric right? These Mm. choices and these decisions, right? If we're leading a business and we're growing it, um, we need to know what our customers want and what they need and are our products and services providing that for them. And if they aren't asking the question, why do we do it? So part of the culture that's underneath and developed and supported by the adaptive transformation framework is challenging the status quo. We may have a book of, let's say we have a catalog of 20 different products and five of them were the original products we launched the company with. Are they still meeting needs? Are customers still buying them, getting value from them? Maybe, maybe not. Um, We may have launched something a year ago that was huge, but what's it doing today? And so sometimes it's retiring and shelving things that no longer add value to our customer or client. And that is you know, our way of be, you know, maintaining effectiveness, right? We don't want to spend resources, time, money, energy, people on things that don't add value to our customers. So I'm, I'm guessing that part of this framework is a piece of it that, as you said, challenges the status quo, asks these questions. And if you're going to go under strategic planning, then you start with present state and you say, okay, here's our present state. Now let's ask a few questions. Let's take a look at the market. Let's take a look at the customers. What are they buying? What are our profitable products? What are the geographies that are working and so on? And really given a framework of really critical and challenging questions that force the executive team to take a good, hard, uh, as, as Jim Collins talks about, good to great, looking at the brutal facts. Yes. Brutal facts are important and being willing to hear the real answers. And, you know, one of my, you know, there, there are statements that are made in my engagements that are near and dear to my heart. So, you know, Dr. Gary, why do you, why do you do that in, in your process? Well, that's the way we've always done it. I love that phrase, yeah. right? Um, as you dig into it and understand what's behind it, oftentimes you find that it is, you know, 
it's a tradition and it no longer adds value to the organization or the, or the client or customer. And so it's an opportunity to make improvements. You know, the other piece of this that we haven't really talked about is as we go through this framework, it also sets a cultural foundation for ongoing continuous improvement, right? Because we are constantly asking those questions. We are looking, you know, underneath to see what's happening, why it's happening, and and can it be better? Um, So, yes, you know, we started this whole train of thought of, you know, this is more than just steps one through ten, this really is changing culture. It's changing the way we think. And it starts at the top, right? Executive leaders have to be willing to embrace the uncertainty as much as everybody else. They are going to get new information. They're going to get more honest information, more complete information, and be able to make better decisions and allow decisions to be made without them. Yeah, so uh, that reminds me of a couple of things. Uh, one of the things you talked about is asking why, and well, it's the way we've always done it. Well, why is it the, you know, yes, the five whys. And about the third or fourth or fifth Absolutely. why, they realize, why are we doing this? <laughs> that, that gets right back to the beginning, right? But it, it reminds me of the Voltaire quote that you just talked about with uncertainty, where it says, uncertainty is uncomfortable, but certainty is absurd. Absolutely. And a lot of times, this is what I love about this ad- adaptive transformation framework creates a sense that uncertainty with adaptiveness is how you face that in a positive way as leaders. Absolutely. And that mindset, right, then drives into that concept that, you know, the title of the book, Future Proofing, right? I don't have mm-hmm. a magic eight ball. I don't have any, you know, great oracles that inform me in, you know, in any way, shape or form. But once your business is running in an adaptive manner, that uncertainty is now an assumption, right? Things are going to happen that we are not prepared for. But as a team, we have the skills and the capabilities to deal with it. Take it to the next level and you can say, not only do we have the skills to deal with uncertainty or disruption that happens to us, we have the ability to create it for ourselves if we want to. Disrupt the marketplace, bring something new and cutting edge and innovative and, you know, a a new, you know, competitive differentiator. The organization is tuned to deliver results. I don't want to lose the opportunity here to understand a little bit about the history of how you created this framework. Because I know my seven steps of intentional leadership has changed over the years because I would get feedback from clients and they would say, oh, you know, your step one is this and it ought to be that or whatever. I actually had a client at one point say, my step six under leadership was was communication because it was the most important competency. And I had a client say, well, you can do six of your seven steps. And I'm like, but there's seven steps. You can't take a step out. And they said, yeah, but your sixth step is just communication. And we have like 20 competencies. And I'm like, oh, okay. Well, that makes sense. So step six became competencies, leadership management and technical competencies. And I, and I organized, organized them in those categories. And I said, how about if we did it that way? And they went, yeah, that works. So now I have seven steps. So, you know, and I've changed other things along the way. I'm sure you have from your customers. How is this, you know, how did it start? And then how, how have you gotten to where you are today? So we, I call it very specifically a framework and not a methodology because by nature, it, I, it needs to be adaptive, right? 
I am going to learn things. My customers and clients are going to teach me things. And it is not prescriptive. And it is not step one through 10 and you do them in this order. Um, the framework elements support each other and support you know, my client environments where they need the support so we can prioritize where we focus energy. And yes, it absolutely grows and it changes. Um, I have the certifications behind these things. Um, the project management certifications, you know, Six Sigma Master Black Belt certifications, all of this time and energy and education and organizational change. I wanted to present it back in a way that does without the expectation that anybody in my client organization needs to understand that lexicon and all of the geek speak that goes along with all of this knowledge. Um, but the framework presents it in a, a consumable and usable way because these things aren't rocket science. Um, you know, they are logical, they are organized, they are, you know, repeatable without having to to learn a whole new vocabulary. And so that's sort of the first part of how I packaged up adaptive transformation is to make sure that, you know, we can say it. If you have the right people and you build their skills and capabilities, you get processes that work and they understand the work that I do, how when I hand it off to you, what you need for it to be valuable and the inputs that I get, the person who does them understands what I need so that they're valuable, right? This is this is lean thinking. This is Six Sigma stuff, but we don't have to learn all of that language. And when it stops working, I can say, hey, Dr. Gary, I want to change what I'm doing. If I give you this instead of that, is that better for you? And you can reflect on that and we can, we can tune process in real time with the line employees. People can just keep it working because they have the basic capabilities, there's a time and a place in an organization where they're going to want deeper subject matter experts, and then they can grow them internally. They can train them. They can do all of that. But with adaptive transformation, we can get you functioning at a really high level without having to invest in that education and that training and really some of the cost of what those resources might be if you were to bring them in you know, fully formed right, and hire them in. I'm picking up on the vocabulary already because I, I love the simplicity of this. And I learned this back when I was at Scott Paper. And I've told this story before where they had a 25-step decision-making model or some such BS. I'm absolutely convinced that that's the reason why they end up having to sell to Kimberly Clark, you know, almost a 100-year-old company, because they, they took too long to make decisions, which is by the way, been shown for CEOs as the number one reason CEOs lose their job is they take too long to make decisions. But the thing, I getting back to the vocabulary, I can just see you sitting in front of a CEO now saying, okay, I just want to ask you a few questions. Have you got the right people with the right skills and the right process and the right technology to get the results you want to get? And they're going to look at you going, uh, I don't, I don't, I don't know, or I don't think so. Or, well, let's, let's take a look at it and maybe we can help. <laughs> it's really that simple, isn't it? It's really that simple. And you know, we I use a tool, um, you know, anybody who who's interested in it, it's our market disruption risk assessment. It's 12 questions. And it's kind of true or false, right? You pick one or the other, you go through it, and it gives you a look at, you know, how open and how adaptive are we? And it cuts across, you know, 
questions about you know the, the strategy of the organization, your operational structure, your tactical structure. It talks about customer centricity. It talks about technology and it talks about corporate culture, right? There are like two questions in each of those categories and you get this little snapshot that goes, oh, Wow. So can, 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 can people get that wow, like on your website and just go and, and uh, take that little, they, they absolutely well, can. we're going to have to put that into the, into the show notes so people can, you know, get in touch with you if they want to take these 12 questions. I might take these 12 questions for my own company. I've got a great culture. I think I'm lacking some technology, but anyway. Um, <laughs> but technology is really just the icing on the yes, cake. It is. Yes, it is. It is, it is just the icing on the cake and it's most powerful once, you know, your people and your processes are doing things well, and then technology takes you to the being able to double your capacity without having to double your headcount, right? It just, it elevates. Um, But the people and the processes are really what makes it, it happen. Absolutely. Absolutely. So We'll uh, we'll get that information in the show notes along with other ways to get in touch with you and find is your future proofing cubed on uh, Amazon? It is absolutely on Amazon. Well, well, we'll put a link to Amazon in the show notes as well for your book. So I always finish my podcast the same way, Lisa, and, and brace yourself. So here here's the question. If you could write yourself a letter and send it back to yourself 20, 25 years and say, hey, Lisa, pay attention to this or pay attention to that. What would that letter say to Lisa? What would you like to have yourself hear from you if you could send that letter back to yourself? The letter would say, wake up. You are not risk averse. Take a risk sooner rather than later. I started my career in, in, in corporate America for security for a salary, for vacation time, for, this is a wild concept, a retirement plan. And it was a time. There there you go thinking strategically again. You know, you keep talking about, well, no, when I was, look, when you're in your 20s, you're sitting there thinking about your retirement plan. That's strategic. Come on. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Thank you. Uh, You're you're generous. But that was, right, uh, all of that's false. There is no security, and especially you know, looking at this in the scheme of the, you know the '90s going into you know 2000, early 2000s, right? Having a 25-year career at IBM and retiring, it, it was that age was over. And going out on my own and building a consulting company, I wish I had started it 10 years sooner. I, 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 that would be the one thing: take that risk sooner rather than later. And, and my guess is, is that if you look at those 10 years that you spent, I'm going to guess that there was a lot of knowledge that you learned in those 10 years that serves you very well today. There absolutely is. And you know, for, the, for entertainment, for the audience, when I did make the decision to take a risk, it was in 2008. So the logic was, right, if I can do it now, <laughs> and if I can stand this up and make it work now, I, I, I've got it. And you know, here we are many years later. So well, I started mine in January of 2009. So I'm right there with you <laughs> and started in technology in 1996 that fed right into the 2000 uh, bubble burst and all that kind of stuff. So I'm, I'm with you, but you know, we learn from those that from that adversity and those situations. And you talk about learning about adaptive transformation. We lived it. 
you know, we lived it. But I love yes. your model. You know, people process skills, technology, and help get the results with that's customer centric. And that's the message that I've heard today. Absolutely. Well, Lisa, thank you so much for being our guest today. We'll get all this information in the show notes. Really appreciate your thoughts and your wisdom and can't wait to get this out to the public so that they can hear your message and and learn more about what you do. Dr. Gary, thank you so much for inviting me to be a part of this conversation today. Thanks, Lisa. I'm Dr. Gary, making good bosses into great leaders with compassionate accountability. Thanks for joining us again at Leading from the Front, where leadership is a responsibility, not a position. Take care and be well. Thanks for being with us on Leading from the Front with Dr. Gary McGrath. Remember to subscribe to this podcast on Apple or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about the work Dr. Gary is doing, visit statarius.com. S-T-A-T-A-R-I-U-S dot com. Music for Leading from the Front is provided by Peter Katz. For more of his music, visit peterkatz.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>